Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, president of Seamless Docs Federal, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Welcome back to Gov Actually. Uh, I've been toying with the question of like, what is the best way to start us off? Okay. And been listening to some past episodes, and I think we still it's still a work in progress. Okay. But uh, and, well, you're the starter offer. So I know. You have I know, and that's something. I'm working on it. I'm working, but you came up with the great title, so I was kind of appealing yeah, to you. you. It's your turn to come up with something. Ingenious, <laughs> apparently. Fair, fair enough. Uh-oh. Uh, but uh, it, we don't have to worry about me coming up with anything ingenious today because we've actually got a, a really certified genius, and that is uh, Brenda Smith. She's the executive assistant um, commissioner for trade, executive assistant commissioner for trade at the Customs and Border Protection uh, within the Department of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Homeland Security. That's right. Yeah. So I could, does that all fit on your business card? Kind of Just up. barely, really <laughs> tiny print. Yeah, that's good. Um, but uh, uh, the great thing about uh, Brenda and her work is that uh, she's being recognized as one of the Sammy's finalists, and this is part of our continuing effort to highlight these uh, great, dedicated public servants and the cool stuff that they do. Yeah, because I think when we started this podcast, uh, we really had a, a particular mission in mind, which was to ex- you know explain what government does to a broader audience and the challenges that the government workforce faces and the challenges that they overcome, but really to be a platform for government workers and to celebrate what they do and what their challenges are. And the Sammy's finalists all have these amazing stories of, of, of coming into the government and making a big difference. And it's something that we want to both celebrate, but also, um, illuminate for more people so they understand what you get to do when you come and and be a public servant. So Brenda, why don't you tell us a little bit about the project that you're involved in and, uh, and, and what brought you here? Thanks. Thanks very much for uh, giving me the opportunity. I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do, not only at Customs and Border Protection, but the work we've been able to do across the government. Because the single window project, which is what the, the Service to America Medal recognizes, involved Customs and Border Protection and 47 other government agencies that worked together to build a single window. In other words, one electronic portal in which all information related to the goods that cross our borders comes into the government through. The government takes a look at it, makes a decision about its risk. We may ask a few more questions. We may ask for a little more information. We may say, you know what? We want to look physically at your shipment, but we message that back to the private sector so that they know what to do with those goods. And it has replaced over 250 paper forms It has streamlined the process. It's lots of data elements that we collect, but we think that by collecting those in one place and messaging back, we save the private sector time and money, and we as the government have a better shot at compliance with our rules and regulations, and at the end of the day, we keep American consumers safe. I think this is a great example of the challenge of, of government and the many tensions that exist. Because if you don't, if you think about it, sometimes it seems from a distance that it should be easy, but there's a real important tension here, right? You want, the, the bottom line is you don't want dangerous stuff 
coming into the United States at our ports. And, 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 and in particular, after 9-11, I think this is becoming even a more you know, kind of pressing thing on the national consciousness, that, that there, there could be uh, things that could advance terrorism and other things that could come in and pose dangers that coming in through our ports. At the same time, what's coming through our ports are important things, products and goods, and, and, the, and, and commerce can be really stifled if we just shut everything down at the border to do extensive security searches of everything. So there's got to be a balance there, right? Right. That's exactly right. And I think the other um, aspect to that, that balance, and actually we stop talking about a balance, because what we find is that if we do facilitation right, for us facilitation is being able to say, you're not a risk, move on you are a risk stop. And what we're trying to start out with is we make that haystack smaller. So we get 75,000 containers coming across our borders every day. Um, imagine that coming at you when you drive up the New Jersey Turnpike and you see the Port of Newark and you see those stacks of containers. In Baltimore. The, right, exactly, yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, you look at those containers, think about getting the visibility into those containers. You don't want to look at every one because if you do, you're wasting your time and you're wasting other people's time and money because it, it costs to, to store those, those containers and to open them up and keep track of the goods that are inside. So what we want to do is let the compliant or low-risk trade move on and really focus on where the bad stuff may be. And that risk management approach is what we have used in the Department of Homeland Security now for 15 years, and we've really been able to drive forward, I think, taking a risk-based approach based on data, data collected through that single window. It's very funny. Uh, when I was the Coast Guard budget examiner back in yeah. the early sands of time, um, <laughs> they had actually adopted what they call port state control, where they had looked at the safety inspection records based on the flag of the carrier, uh -huh. and they would modulate whether they would do the inspections based on prior performance. So this idea being that you have only a limited amount of resources how do you maximize the value uh, that you get out of the deployment of those resources? And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing here. Yeah, it is, because none of us have enough resources to open every container, every truck, mm -hmm. every small package that crosses our borders. And so we really want to focus in on finding where there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's also the relationship that industry and the public has with the government, because, again, Port security is, is absolutely imperative and important. But if you're a business and you're coming in, it's like you've got to fill out this form in triplicate and you've got to do it for 10 different agencies and it, it's, it's, it's infuriating. It creates all this, this complexity. You can be the biggest champion for port security in the world, but if you run into, we often talk about on this podcast, the parks and recs, like the, yeah. the, the insane bureaucracy that just doesn't make sense, you're going to be frustrated, and it sounds to me like what you were able to do with Single Window, with you and, and other colleagues across government, is really streamline the process in a way that doesn't disrupt our efforts to, to be safe and to meet the mission of CBP, but also make it easier uh, and eliminate some of those parks and rec moments. That's exactly right. When we looked at how supply chains are managed, they're very efficient. You know, profit margins are low. Predictability is critical. Um, if you have a shipment that's expected to be on store shelves or it's needed for um, 
a manufacturing line somewhere. You have to know where that shipment is and have a reasonable expectation that it's going to arrive when you think it's going to arrive. But if you have to, as you said, fill out 10 forms or um, provide data for 14 different systems, you're, you're going to have a really high administrative cost or you're going to have to have a lot of inventory um, to protect you, give you a level of insurance that things are going to get where you need them when you need them. And I think um, by building the system, yes, we focused on the technology, but almost more interesting and of more benefit is looking at the supply chain to understand where the choke points are to try to manage those strategically and also see where from a, an operational process perspective we can work together so you don't have six different government agencies all showing up at the same time or even worse showing up sort of every couple of hours, one every couple of hours to say, to give the green light or say, mm, you know what, I'm quite not quite ready to make a decision. And so that container or that cargo just sits there. To what extent was uh, interacting with the public, with the people that didn't have a single window before, how did that play into, into the journey and the solution here? I'll tell you that one of our best groups of supporters are the people that use the system from the private sector. So as we looked across the stakeholders that were interested in our success, we came up with a matrix of about 13 different groups, whether they were carriers, people who own big ships or you know the FedEx UPSs of the world, or customs brokers that do a lot of the, the administrative work and the compliance consulting to those that, that actually importing in the household names, the, the Walmarts, the Intels that need those products. Um, they were our biggest boosters, but they were also our biggest critics in a very constructive way. And I think one of the things about the Single Window Project is that Customs and Border Protection for a number of years has had a very active collaboration approach to working with the private sector. We bring them in regularly through advisory committees. Um, we meet with them on an ongoing basis. But that was really the secret sauce for the Single Window was to on a daily basis convene conference calls, webinars, put out technical guidance so that people understood what it is we we're trying to accomplish, what our approach was going to be, and then help us improve it. And that collaboration was really pretty critical to building that single window. So one of, one of my experiences, uh, or, or a, a general underlying theme of my experiences in these efforts to change these longstanding processes is that the only thing <laughs> You know, worse than the status quo. You know, people can get together and complain about the status quo, but the only thing worse is is any kind of suggested change. So I'm curious, what was the motivating force? Who was it who kind of had the bureaucratic courage to stand up and say, wait a minute, this can be done a lot smarter, a lot better, and more efficiently? So the Congress passed the Safe Port Act in 2006, mm -hmm. and they knew that Customs and Border Protection was building, rebuilding, modernizing our cargo information system. And they said, while you're building that, when you're done, we want you to have built a single window. It was an international standard endorsed by the UN and the World Customs Organization. And so they really gave us the initial mandate. But it kind of laid around for a number of years. We knew that was on the books. We got some energy around completing a some of that um, 
kick in the seat was really came from, um, from both the Congress as well as the private sector. And so as we got re-energized about completing the technolo technology platform, which is known as ACE, or the Automated Commercial Environment, we talked to a lot of people around the world that had already built single windows. And they told us the imperative that you have to have is um, head of state presidential direction that brings all these agencies with different agendas and different priorities to the table and, and focuses them. So in February of 2014, the president issued an executive order which told us you have until December 2016 to finish it up. Mm. And here's sort of the principles that I want you to operate under. Collaboration with the private sector, um, consider automating financial processes, things like that. Um, very good government. And so that was our, our manifest manifesto. And we took that, a lot of working group meetings, and but that gave us our guidance. So I think one of the themes, you know, we've been interviewing a variety of different SAMIs finalists, but stakeholder engagement, like opening the doors of communication between the public and the government has been a kind of a common theme of a way to disrupt the status quo and, and get to a new and better place. So the fact that this is a key ingredient uh, shouldn't surprise anyone. I think it's it's part of it. The other thing that I'm reflecting on is you, you, you were the Coast Guard examiner at, at OMB. I was in the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs and at one point, it's like a, you draw the short straw there. You have to, you're, you're the examiner that has to write the information collection budget each mm -hmm. year, right. which tells you how much, how many burden hours were reduced, paperwork burden under the Paperwork Reduction Act. I mean, that sounds really exciting. <laughs> but anyway, anytime I hear a story about, you know, a, a government effort that's really I'm streamlining the process, whether it's one-stop shop or single window and, 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 and getting agencies together to rationalize the mess of forms that are sometimes out there, not only does it reduce burden, but it just makes us smarter and better because we have easier access to information. So it's another part of government that people, you know, they, they, there's always that negative connotation of the filling it out in triplicate and government forms, but the reality is that there are people dedicated to trying to address that and, and merge that in the information economy. So that's, I think that's one of the reasons why this is an exciting project. It is, and we spent a lot of time with uh, your friends, our friends at, at OMB and, and OIRA, yeah. um, kind of working those issues. I and think I think she said friend unironically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so I started my career at Customs as a budget, oh, analyst, right. budget examiner, Excellent. so um, I'm very sympathetic. Yeah. Um, the, that focused, focusing on what the vision is for collecting information and then using information, and it's been an interesting conversation around nobody wants too much information collected. On the other hand, we can make better decisions and potentially the decision not to stop a piece of cargo if we have more or more granular information. And so that really is, a, a, there's a tension there between um, what information is available at what time from whom that can best be used to support those risk-based decisions. And that was a lot of what the discussion was and the very granular focused working groups that we had that were private sector government to see what we could use to make those decisions. So tell us about you, like your journey in government. How long have you been at CBP, and um, how'd you get into public service? We already know that you had one of the coolest jobs, being a budget 
<laughs> right, yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, so I quickly, after, I, actually I spent seven or eight years doing budget work mm -hmm. on the Hill and, uh, and then at Treasury, but the work at, at an operational agency was just really exciting. And I'm very passionate about trade. Um, and so came to customs really at the behest of my dad. My dad was a, um, spent much of his career at the National Weather Service. And when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, he said, you know, he said, there's a lot to be said for the executive branch. And you go, you find a place that will challenge you, that will let you grow, let you innovate, and you will have more authority with broader reach at a younger age than any other job you could possibly have. And that really has stuck with me over time. I, this comes up a lot on the podcast, and I always go back to this movie reference, oh. Rambo, and you always make fun of it, and I realize yeah, and it and really you, doesn't it, hold. It hasn't stopped you. Yes, exactly. There's something in the, in the movie First Blood where there's this distinction made between when I was in the Army, I had all this power and authority and control over people and, and million-dollar equipment, and now I'm back. Uh, not in the army anymore, and 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 I don't have anywhere near the yeah. the level of responsibility, the ability to get a job like that. Yeah. I think that's one of the real draws yeah. of government and public service. I think we had Beth Cobert on the mm -hmm. podcast, who was the she was uh, our first guest, former uh, director of OPM, yeah, and right. she said she said she said I call that achieving impact at scale. I really like that, wow, that terminology. That, that was cool terminology. That's real gov, actually, terminology there. We should make it an acronym. In, impact at Achieving scale. Achieving impact at scale. Yeah, I like it. I like AI. It. Anyway. <laughs> so that's really neat that it's kind of in the family. It is. It, it, my brother's with the Fish and Wildlife Service and wow. uh, father-in-law, 42 years at so the do, Cultural do, Research Service. So do they think that NOAA and Fish and Wildlife Service should be merged? As okay, not even touching that. Yeah, that's yeah. the third rail. <laughs> so you've got to bring some of your family members to the Sammy's event if they haven't been because then it's a real that's great that's yeah. a great idea that's yeah, a because really that's idea. it's a real celebration of of government service and i love this idea of like maybe I'm, you know, when i go home tonight i'm going to talk to my kids because i i don't know anyone in my lineage who worked in the government but maybe my uh, kids can be so my daughter my younger daughter has already said that she wants to be the surgeon general of the united states wow ah. and i said well you know what you've probably increased your odds by 50 percent by declaring that at at age 17 you know it's just a it's a it's a unique enough position that's right so that's right. maybe someone's listening to this their their kids in the back seat of the of the car they're driving to school and like oh i want to work at the customs and border yeah. protection well i tell you i bring my 13 year old son with me on a regular basis mm -hmm. um customs and border protection has i think one of the broadest missions across government i mean we do we have the border patrol so we're right. between the ports of entry we're at the ports of entry um we are in the air we have the air and marine office and then of course all the trade work that we do mm -hmm. and 60,000 employees it's a great agency because we we try right. sometimes we fail and that's okay and but a lot of times we get it done it may not be pretty but we get it done um, and it's really an exciting mission space because with the events of 9-11 the tragic events of 9-11 it really forced us to understand what our capabilities were what our authorities were and bring those to this issue this um this goal of Homeland Security is secure home. Where were you? Uh, were you a government employee at I was. I was. And I actually worked for the U.S. Customs Service, okay. which was a, a great agency, um, but very focused on trade and, and sort of anti-smuggling, whether it was narcotics yeah. or counterfeit goods. 
the mission has broadened so much, and I, I you know, really remember, in fact, all throughout Customs and Border Protection, we have reminders of the events of that day. Our New York office was at Six World Trade Center, right. and while it was not directly hit, the building was destroyed um, after the two towers fell, and it is, we have reminders all over. And of course, then those of us that are here, were here in Washington on that day, the events at the Pentagon. And that is first and foremost what we are here to do. We are here to keep the United States safe. And whether it is um, safe on the border, the physical border, or in the air, or safe from you know counterfeit pharmaceuticals, or batteries that blow up in your phone, or um, um, you're a domestic manufacturer that is relying on the government to ensure a level playing field so you can compete and produce those goods that our economy requires for its security. Um, it's, it's a great job. Right. It's, it's the kind of job that when you stop and you start telling people about it, first of all, it's clear you have passion for it. Um, that's not lacking. Uh, but when you start telling people about what an agency or a component of an agency like that does, I think it really begins to drive home for people the importance, significance um, uh, of, of folks such as yourself and the people on your team and the role that you play in, in guaranteeing our economy, guaranteeing our freedom, guaranteeing these things we expect in, in, in our American society. Yeah, because a constant refrain and theme that Dan and I discuss is the underappreciation of government and its role. And I think, you know, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not one to kind of side on the argument of big government versus small government. My attitude is whatever government you have, it should work effectively. And then there are certain core functions wherever you land on that spectrum that, are, that everyone agrees need to be carried out. Safe skies, safe ports, um, safe roadways, um, just kind of that bottom line, that the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of, of, of safety. Um, and so being on the, on the front line of one of those critical functions that nobody can argue with, everybody in the United States who's thinking logically wants to make sure that our ports are protected uh, from things that could come in and do damage to, to the people and to this country. So it's, it's very inspiring, and, and I know you know this, but you're fortunate to, to, be able to, to be able to serve the country in this way, and we're fortunate to have people like you that have the passion and the creativity to, to make government better. So thank you for your service, and thank you for, for being here, and, and congratulations, and really looking forward to seeing you at the Sammies. Yeah, good luck. Good luck on the Sammies. Now, we've interviewed, I'm going to tell you, I've interviewed three or four other yeah other three. finalists at this point and yeah it's it's uh it's awesome i mean every one of them each after each one i say, oh god i like that one more, I like that <laughs> one more. Um, but i think that's the great thing about the sammies a that folks such as you and your team um and the 47 did you say 47 yeah, 47 government agencies right. that's that's a whole other uh string to pull um that you came together and you worked on this initiative and you've helped make our country safer and more secure and, and more efficient. But when you listen to all these stories, you realize together it's this tapestry of, of excellence and hard work. So uh, I'll echo Danny's appreciation for your hard work and commitment. Thank you. Well, I, I will tell you, it's, it's a real honor. And it's, um, as I look around 
me and I talk to friends and, and colleagues um, outside the agency, and then I look at what I get to do every day. It's, uh, it's the reason I get up and come to work every morning. So thank you for the opportunity to do this. Um, the Partnership for Public Service has just given us a phenomenal opportunity to really talk about why what we do is so great and really to, to kind of carry through our commitment to public service. So, so thank you. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.